Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Now, they still haven't put my clock up yet. <laughs> that should be up next week. Pastor John will put that up next week. Uh, but, I, but I'm going to get you out of here. Let's see. It's 11.08. My goal is to get you out of here by 11.35, 11.38. Because we're going to continue worship in the fellowship hall. So part of our worship is going to be in the fellowship hall. So we will migrate down the hall quietly so as not to disturb our children because worship will go into the fellowship hall and we will still conclude at noon where you can go and pick up your children. So, all right, so stick with me, hang with me. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, let me pray for us. Yes, Lord, thank you. We are amazed by you. We're so thankful that you dance over us. You rejoice over us with singing. Like Israel, we are the apple of your eye. You love us so. And, Lord, we're amazed by that because sometimes we have trouble loving ourselves. Even though you command us to do that and you give us the grace to do that, we see how we let ourselves down. We see how unfaithful we are. We see how uh, inconsistent we can be. But yet, Lord, you still love us because where our sin abounds, your grace superabounds. And it's your love that is perfect. It always casts out our fears. And when our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our hearts of condemnation. And we just want to rest in that today. We want to be free in who we are in Christ and because of Christ today. Lord, we know that we are to work because we are Christians, but we never want to get it twisted to think that we're working to earn favor with you. Lord, we can never earn favor, and that's what makes favor favor. It's a free gift that you give to us because you know that we need it, and there's no way we could be made right with you by ourselves. So thank you, Christ, for standing in the gap. Thank you, Jesus, for being the only mediator between God and men. Thank you, Jesus, for donning the robes of humanity to die for the sins of the world, for taking our penalty upon your body. And it's by your stripes that we are healed. So thank you, Jesus, for the victory. Thank you for the blood today that causes demons to tremble. Your name, your name, your name. We worship you. And what a privilege it is to know you and to be here in your house. Lord, download into us the message that you have for us this day. Give us this day our daily bread, the bread of the word of God this day. And we promise, Lord, whatever is done as a result of what you minister to us, we'll give you praise for it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Hallelujah. Amen. On Monday night, we had an amazing time in this place as we celebrated what we call the first annual King Awards. And that was our way to not only honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but we also wanted to honor people who serve pretty much in the same path of being servant leaders as Dr. King was. But ultimately, our goal was to honor the King of all kings, Jesus Christ. For that is who we all honor all ultimately worship and serve. 
And so the King Awards, it was amazing. We honored several great people that night who are servant leaders. And when we honored them and they came forward and they gave their acceptance speeches, oh, wow. You, you, you had to have been here. If you weren't here, you missed something great. Pastor Darrell has filmed it, so we're trying to work on that and process it and get it out. But these people were humbled, uh, but yet they were bold in what God had called them to do. And we knew that we had chosen the right people to kick this off. Uh, but technically, as we honored these servant leaders, technically, Strong Tower, we were honoring slaves. Oh, stay with me. As we were honoring these great men and women, we were honoring slaves. That's right. We honored slave Gary Hughes. We honored slave Jackie Patillo. We honored slave Stuart Tutler. We honored slave James Crow. We honored slave Scott and Tracy Hamilton. And we honored slave Brian and slave Tammy Lennox. You say, Pastor, why would you call these people slaves? One minute you say that we were honoring these men and women, but have you not just dishonored them by calling them slaves? No, 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 no. According to the kingdom of God, which is upside down, but technically it is right side up. Uh, the world thinks that how we live is upside down, but technically it's right side up. And the kingdom of God is different from how the world operates. And as we'll see today from this passage, Jesus says that those who are great among us, they are our slaves. At least they should be slaves. Those who are first are the ones who should be last. So Jesus inverts it. He flips it. He turns this thing around, and he defines greatness as the ability to serve others, that is, to be a slave. So we were honoring men and women who served others through their various vocations and their platforms. And really, we were honoring slaves on Monday night. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, we're going to read. The background is that Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem, um, heading in for what we call the Passion Week, his last week of earthly existence, where he will be denied and He'll be falsely tried after being arrested and crucified. And so as he's making his way back to Jerusalem, believe it or not, his disciples are posturing about greatness. They know that he's leaving. They've been hearing him talk about it, but I don't know if it's really resonating with them. And so they begin to talk about greatness. And in chapter 18, they ask a question, who's great? And then Jesus says, let me show you what greatness is. And he brings a child the ones that we just applauded as they went out into their classes. He brings a child and he says, unless you are converted and become like this child, uh, you can't enter or see the kingdom because the child is the greatest in the kingdom. Humble yourself like a child. You want to know what greatness is? Humble yourself and be innocent and trusting like a child. And then a little bit later, I believe it's in chapter 19, 
Jesus talks to the disciples about, because Peter said, now, the rich young ruler didn't want to follow you, but we left a whole lot of stuff to follow you. What's in it for us? And so Jesus has to let them know that one day they will receive in the kingdom. And he said to the 12 that you will sit on 12 thrones judging the children of Israel with me. And so when the 12 heard that, they heard thrones. And so then later in chapter 20, they begin to argue about greatness. And James and John's mother, the sons of thunder they're called, the sons of Zebedee, mom comes up to Jesus and she heard this talk about thrones. And like a lot of mothers, she wants her sons to sit on the right and the left. She's posturing to get her boys, you know, to have prime seats in the kingdom. And so she asked Jesus, as the other 10 disciples are watching this exchange, she says, can my sons sit on your right and on your left? You said they would sit on thrones. I'm asking, can they sit close to you? You see, Jesus was the one that the limelight was on. It wasn't on the 12, but sometimes people try to share the light when the light isn't for them. And so as they got close to the light, because Jesus is the light, the Father was shining the light, it was always about Jesus, the 12 thought a little bit that it was about them and that people were coming for them. But people weren't coming for them. They were coming for Christ. It was about Christ. And so Jesus had to let mom know, it's not up to me to decide who sits on my right and on my left. Um, That's up to my father to decide. And so now let's pick up at verse 24. It says, and when the ten heard it, that is the request that James and John's mother laid before Christ, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Why are they displeased? Probably because their mother didn't come and think up that idea first. You know, they're like, you beat us to the punch. Because later they're going to argue again about greatness. When Jesus is in the upper room, when he is about to give them the Passover meal as an anticipation that he is the Passover lamb who will give his body and shed his blood. Um, Because they had been arguing, even in the upper room, right before Christ is to die, they're arguing and he, let me show you about greatness. And this is when he washes their feet in John chapter 13. And he says, if I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, that is serve, you ought to serve one another. And so these guys got caught up in the moment about greatness and about being served. But Jesus had to teach them along the way, just as he teaches us every step of the way. And so in verse 25, it says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. He's talking about how the world works. People in the world keep looking for positions so they can lord over people. But then those who lord over people, there's a supervisor over that supervisor, there's a supervisor over that supervisor who's over that supervisor, and people try to act like they are big shots. So Jesus is saying that's how the world works. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Stop. 
Yeah, we should desire to be great because a great God made us and he wants us to do great things. But it's not a greatness that we can get the credit, but it's a greatness that we can reflect the glory to him. I want to do all that he's called me to do. So that is a sign of greatness. And so Jesus says, if you want to become great, you have to be a servant. That's the upside down, which is technically right side up aspect of the kingdom of God. If you want to go high, go low. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to be first, be last. Verse 27, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, when we look at these verses here, 26, 27, and 28, we see the word servant in verse 26. In verse 27, we see the word slave. In verse 28, we see the word served and serve. Now, Jesus is using, as the Greek writers translate the Bible, he's using two different words here. He's using one word, diakonos, for serving, and then he's using another word, doulos, for slave. Stay with me now. Now, the Greek is such a rich language. Preachers who quote Greek, we shouldn't do it to try to let you know that we're smart or any of that kind of stuff. No, we should only quote it when it makes sense and it helps in the application and interpretation of the text. And because language can have so many nuances and layers to it, sometimes it's good to go in and find out what particular Greek word was being used because it's specific. Every word of scripture is inspired by God. And so the word doulos, excuse me, diakonos first, it speaks of servitude. So in verse 26, when Jesus says, let him be your servant, that's the Greek word diakonos. That's where we get the word deacon from. A deacon was someone in the early church who was to be the hands-on extension of the elders and the apostles to meet the felt needs of the body. The deacons were to wait on tables. They were to be physically active in serving the people of God. Not that the apostles and elders were above serving the people, but they also had to give themselves to more spiritual disciplines like fasting, prayer, study, counsel, preaching. So if they're going to do all of that, which is work, they've got to have other people who are authorized to touch and meet the needs as an extension of the leadership team. Diakonos, diaconate, deacons, deaconesses. That's the word here. That is used in verse 26. But in verse 27, he says, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. That is the Greek word doulos, doulos. And this is someone who places themselves under subjection. So whereas in diakonos, it's all about servitude, felt needs, serving tables. Doulos speaks of subjection, submitting yourself. That's why this word is translated as bond servant. All right, come on, hang with me, stay with me here. It's translated bond servant. Why is it translated bond servant? Because a bond servant is a slave who has a personal bond with the one he or she is serving. 
So now this goes a little bit deeper than diaconate because the restaurant you go to today when someone serves your table, they may not serve you with kindness. They may not be glad when you're there. They may not really show much joy. They may not show much anticipation and goodness towards you. Why? Because they're just doing a job. But when you are a bond servant, you're serving someone because you love them. You're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you want to. You're not doing it. You're not serving people because you're being forced to serve them because sometimes that's the diaconos. I'm going to serve. But the doulos says, I'm serving you because I love you. So Jesus says, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, your bond servant, someone who serves because they love you. Ultimately, we serve because we love God. And we also ought to serve because we love people. But sometimes when it's difficult to love the people you serve, at least say, Lord, I'm serving these difficult people because I love you. Help me to love these difficult people that I'm serving. And that's a process for all of us. So Jesus is using terms in the first century that his audience understood because slavery was a part of the first century. One out of three Romans who lived during that time, was a slave. And so this term, bond servant, it was something that was in the culture. And Jesus understood the culture. He used this terminology to encourage his people to be slaves of God. Then he says in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, diakonos, and to give his life a ransom for many. So, Being a bond servant does not mean that you serve out of affliction. That means you serve out of affection. You have a bond with the one that you serve. We have a bond with Jesus, and that's why we serve him gladly. So no wonder in Philippians 1.1, Paul opens his letter saying, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. He could say bond slaves or just slaves of Jesus Christ. But it's the word doulos, Paul and Timothy, doulos, bond servants, bond slaves. We love Jesus. That's why we serve him. We're not doing it out of drudgery. We're doing it out of joy. What an honor to serve the one who has served us. It changes everything. Then in Titus 1.1, we will begin the book of Titus next week. We're going to teach through Titus those wonderful three chapters But the book opens up, Paul, a bond servant of God. So rather than trying to open up lauding the fact that he is an apostle or lauding the fact that he has seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, lauding the fact that he has raised people from the dead, no, no, no. He wants to identify himself with the fact, I am a slave. That's the kingdom. It's not about titles. It's about serving. And so he opens his letters by saying, I am a slave Not because I have to be, but because I want to be and I'm honored to be a bond servant, a bond slave of Jesus. Well, James 1.1 says, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the Lord's uh, uh, half-brother. Remember Mary and Joseph, they had Jesus supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. But Mary and Joseph went on to have other children, and one of them was James, 
who would go on to lead the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. And so Jesus' brother also wrote a book in the Bible, the letter of James. And if Jesus were my earthly brother, there's a strong chance, because I don't always practice humility, there's a strong chance I may name drop on y'all and say, I'm writing this letter and I am the half-brother of Jesus. Y'all better pay attention. But that's not how he started. He started off saying that he was a bond slave of his older brother. Oh, my. That he says is the Lord. You see, James in history had a nickname called Old Camel Knees because he was known to be a man of prayer. He would hit his knees constantly, and he wore out his knees. And so he didn't just try to ride on the fact that in the flesh he and Jesus had a relationship. But no, he says, that's my brother, yes, but I'm his slave first, my God. But then Jude comes along, who's also a brother of James, who's a brother of Jesus. And Jude, when he writes his epistle, he says in verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So men of God are identifying themselves as servants before they even talk about being apostles. Then Simon Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter a bond servant, a slave, and apostle of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's powerful. Remember, he's the one that didn't even want Jesus to wash him. He said, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus said, now, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. All right, wash everything, Jesus. Jesus like, now, we ain't got to do all that. You're clean already. We just got to wash your feet. And that's why when he writes in 1 Peter, he talks about how to serve because he saw Jesus serve. Jesus took off his uh, robe and put on a robe, uh, a towel, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. He said, I've left an example for you. And Peter remembers that, and he writes about that. But above all, he lives that because Jesus changed his life by how he served him. And then Jesus himself, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant, a doulos, because he loved his father. So that's why he came to do the will of the father. And he says, it's not my will, but it's his will, because a slave doesn't operate by his or her own will. The slave operates to please the will of the one that he or she serves, because a slave technically has no legal rights except to obey. And Jesus says, I'm here to obey and please my father. And that's how we should be as doulosses, slaves of Christ. Christ came to earth to be born like a slave, to serve like a slave, to be treated like a slave, and to die like a slave. And he also came to create more slaves because the world doesn't need more lords the world needs more slaves. Our world doesn't need more people lording over, lording over, especially in the kingdom, in the church. No, we need more slaves in the church. And if that word slave is offensive, good. Let it be offensive. Let, let it rub you. Because when you make yourself of no reputation, it doesn't matter what people call you. You see, there's this old saying that says, man, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, people thinking I'm a servant, but just don't treat me like one. 
But when you are a slave, man, you're going to get mistreated. You're going to get overlooked. You're not going to get a pat on the back. You're going to be talked about. You're going to be disrespected. But we're serving the Lord who went through the same thing himself. So that's why he says you're great. John the Baptist was great in the kingdom because he decreased himself when people wanted to lift him up. Are you the Messiah? Uh Uh-uh. I'm not even worthy enough to carry his sandals. He decreased so that Jesus could increase. And that's how you know that you're growing closer to the Lord, where you continue to make yourself small so that people may see his greatness through you. Because truthfully, there is only one Lord and the rest of us are slaves. There's only one Lord. So when the world is trying to lord over, lord over, lord over, all those who are lording over one day will bow down because there's only one Lord, and technically everybody else is a slave. But the question is, whose slave are you? Because there's somebody higher, somebody higher, somebody higher. I don't care what your title is, what your pedigree is, what your degree is in. There's always somebody higher. And there's nobody higher than the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the Lord of lords. So technically, we're all slaves, but the question is, whose slave are you? Are you a slave of Christ or are you a slave of yourself and of the system of the world? Who owns you? Who calls the shots? Who is your master? Ah, That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, You can't serve God and money because a lot of people are serving money. And the word he uses is doulos. They're affectionate towards money. They're fond of money. They're bonded to money, and they serve money because they love it. But Jesus says you can't serve God and serve money like that. You'll either love the one and hate the other. So choose today whom you're going to serve. Don't make that money an idol. That money cannot save your soul. It can't help you late in the midnight hour. Uh Uh-uh. You need to come to God. That's why it's hard for the rich to be saved. Because their money is their strong tower, not the Lord himself. And so, who do you serve? It's one thing to say, to say, to say, Jesus is your Savior. And I hope everybody can say that. Now, it's one thing to say that he's your savior, but it's an entirely different thing to say and live like he is your Lord. Yeah, Lord, get me out of, or Jesus, get me out of hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven when I die. But when he begins to talk about your lifestyle and adjusting how you walk and how you live, do you want him now as master or do you only want him as savior? But I'm here to say that when you get Jesus, you get the entire package. You can't differentiate and say, I only want him as fire insurance, but I don't want him for life assurance. No, 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 no. You've got to have the whole thing because Jesus says, don't call me Lord and don't do what I say. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Because we can fool some of the people some of the time, but we can't fool the Lord none of the time. Yeah, grace is amazing, but it ain't greasy. Grace ought to be a motivation to want to serve and know and live for the Lord who saved our souls. For Jesus to be your Lord, it means he's your master. If Jesus is your master, you are his slave. And if you are his slave, your life belongs to him. He purchased you. 
He purchased me out of the slave market. We were enslaved to sin. We were under Satan's tutelage, tutelage and this world system. We were on the auction block owned by Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. But Jesus entered in and he bought us out of that market of slavery. And he purchased us not with gold and corruptible things. He purchased us with his precious blood. He bought us out of that place of slavery and systemic oppression and sinful domination. He bought us out of that place with his blood. And then he brought us into the kingdom of light. He bought us and then he brought us. And just like when a slave was bought on the auction block in the natural realm, that slave was now owned by the master. And so since Jesus bought us in a very real way, he owns us. We've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God with your body because it belongs to him. And just like the master who owns the slave, he brands us and he changes our name. Because every slave would have their name changed because it signified that they were owned by a master. So in the spiritual realm, he not only bought us and brought us, but he branded us and he changed our name. Whereas my name was once guilty, now my name is forgiven. Where my name was once cursed, now he says my name is blessed. Oh, he's changed my name. My name is adopted. My name is loved. My name is accepted. My name is victorious. My name is overcomer. My name is redeemed. He changed my name because he changed everything about me. So he's my master and I am his slave, a slave of righteousness now. So technically, I'm looking at a church full of slaves. (laughs) I'm looking at a church full of slaves and not a church full of lords. If we only came to church the way Jesus came into the world, the church would be different. How did he come into the world? Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others. If we came to church, not to be served, not to be entertained, but if we came to serve and to give, we'd have a greater church experience. You see, the proof of a growing church is not based on how many people it has coming. The circus is in town. There's a lot of people who go to the circus. So just because a lot of people come to your church, that doesn't mean that God's hands are on the church any more than his hands are on the circus. The proof of a growing church is based on how many people it has serving. There's this 80-20 rule that shackles many a church where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the giving. And it just comes to be understood, especially here in the West, that we come to church to sit soaking sour, and a remnant of people 
will do the work in the church. But no, the proof of a growing church is based on how many people are serving because he gave us spiritual gifts to serve the body. And if we're not serving the body with our gifts, then we're missing the purpose for which he saved us. We're saved to serve. So I'm asking God, send a revival. What kind of revival? A revival of service. Oh, boy, I don't like it in my house. When my children walk by stuff like the dishwasher, it either needs to be loaded or unloaded, and they act like the maid is going to get to it. Or they see a spill and they don't pick it up or something, and they act like the maid is going to get to it. And especially if they made the mess. Oh, boy, there's some, ooh, there's some moving of furniture in the house when that goes on now. We're naturally selfish, just like the 12. We want to be served. We, we want our thrones. But Jesus said, pick up the basin and the towel. Do it when nobody's looking. Just serve. I see you. Do it as unto me, even if the people you serve don't appreciate or tolerate you or thank you. Man, we need a revival of servants because a healthy church is not one that has to beg for money or beg for people to serve. If all the time the preacher's begging, we need help, we need money, that's not a healthy church. Because a healthy Christian never has to be begged to do their reasonable service, which is to serve and to give. That's what Jesus did. He served and he gave. So as we're growing in Christ, we're going to serve and we're going to give. Doesn't mean we don't need to be prodded sometimes as I'm praying that this message will do for all of us because we all get lazy from time to time. We lose our focus. We get selfish. But again, if this happened to the 12 disciples, yes, it can happen to us where we lose our focus and think that it's about us. Jesus told them about thrones and they just, whoo, right and left. Now, we will sit on thrones in heaven. We'll sit on thrones in the new millennium and we'll judge in the earth according to 1 Corinthians but it's not time for a throne right now. Matter of fact, your pew is not a throne. Now, what's funny is when that balcony opened back up, it's funny how people went right back to their same seat when that balcony opened back up. And we all have seats that we like here. Now, some Sundays I like to tell people, just get up and move your seat, switch, because I don't want you to begin thinking that that's your throne or your territory. Because some churches, people, if they sit in your seat, they'll look at you like, mm, you done committed the, the worst sin of all. And some of them pull out the razor and say, I got to cut you. You're in my seat. But your pew is not a throne. I like to think of your pew as a catapult. You know what a catapult is. Catapult was those things they used in medieval times where, you know, they would crank it back and they would put boulders in it or burning things and then they would let it go and they would throw whatever was in the catapult into enemy territory. So in my mind, while I'm up here preaching, I don't see pews, I see catapults. And I'm like, the Lord is cranking you up, getting you ready to shoot you in the enemy territory. Don't you get comfortable? We'll sit on thrones later. Right now, there's work to be done. Matter of fact, we're going to put some, some fire up under these pews so you, you just keep moving. It, it just it, it can't get comfortable. Oh, no, we got work to do. And if we can't first and foremost work in here, 
there's no way we're going to be able to work out there. When the queen of Sheba visited King Solomon, she was impressed by his servants. My goodness. You ever go to a place and you're impressed by how people serve? Can I tell you about the Ritz-Carlton? My goodness. When you go to the Ritz-Carlton and you pull up, they come out to you, they open your door, and they know your name. You feel special when you're going to. My wife said, my, my. She said, you need to take me back to another Ritz-Carlton. Yes, Lord. Queen of Sheba said, I've never seen such glory like this, the way your servants are on attention. And when people come into our church, they ought to see that kind of excellence, that we care about them because we care about our God and we want to serve you and serve you well. He is growing us. We are getting more and more excellent. Jesus develops leaders who serve and not leaders who lord. So the question is, how is your serve? How is your serve? You know, in your golf game or in your tennis game, your serve can get off, you know. Badminton, your serve can get off. So you got to keep working on your serve. And sometimes in life, your serve gets off. Life gets full. And you get busy. You get distracted. But, Lord, let me get my serve back so I can get my swerve back. <laughs> Just a little rapper's delight for you. First uh, Peter chapter 4. Listen to this, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, everybody has a gift from God, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever Amen. You have a gift, and the gift was given not for you to hoard or to keep or to glorify yourself. Your gift was given to serve others and glorify Christ. That's how he made you when he rebirthed you. He gave you something to give. And a servant leader is the person who recognizes what God gave them to serve the world with. They recognize that God gave them something unique to be a blessing to other people with. And when they're not giving it away, they're missing the purpose for which they've been redeemed, and they're then miserable. But when you know what he gave you and why he placed you here and even who he's called you to serve, my, you become so satisfied. So if you have the gift of hospitality, how are you using it to serve the people of Strong Tower? If you have the gift of mercy, administration, Giving, teaching, shepherding, intercession, prophecy, craftsmanship. How are you using it to serve the people of God at Strong Tower Bible Church? So if I ask you a question and I say, you know, what is your job at the church? Can you answer that question? Or will you give an excuse before you even answer the question? My job at Strong Tower Bible Church is blank. Now, if you've been a member of this church for over six months and don't have a job, we're going to correct that today. That's what the ministry fair is all about. You've got to have a job. You, he gave you a gift to build into the body to glorify him. If you aren't using it, you don't know where to serve, okay, we'll help you. 
but we, you don't always need somebody to call you and say help over here. You know that we need some help over there. Because that place you keep complaining about, about the children's ministry, the nursery, the cameras, the lights, the sound, the this, the that. When you see the problem, sometimes God's called you to be the solution to that problem. Because until he gives it to you specifically, you can serve in a general way. You can't say, man, I don't do floors. No, no, no. You can do floors. You're not above doing floors. Not only will others benefit from your service, but you will too. You see, we grow spiritually when we use our spiritual gifts. We look more like Christ when we serve others the way he did. And we are more satisfied when we serve. Because we're walking in what he's called us to be and to do. If it is more blessed to give than to receive, it's also more blessed to serve than to be served. The difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is that one sea has outlets and the other one doesn't. When you have outlets, when you give out, you stay alive. But if all you do is take in and take in and take in, you're dead. God wants you to take in so that you can give out. But some of us only take in and we never give out and we wonder why our spiritual lives are dead. Well, a bond servant is a slave who has a bond with the one he or she is serving. I'm a bond servant of Jesus. I serve him because I love him, not because I have to. I serve because I want to and because I get to. Oh, it helps your attitude when you can adjust your thinking. It's not drudgery like waiting tables. Ugh. No, it's a joy and a delight to serve my Lord because he serves me daily. And I want to be a conduit of his grace to others. Well, many of you know I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. And I grew up in Harold Williamson Sr.'s house. He let me have a room in the house, but it was not technically my room. It was my room in his house. And because it was his house, he could go into the room at any time and confiscate anything that he wanted because it was his house. And Harold Williamson Sr. was even kind and gracious enough to let me eat and sleep in his house. It wasn't my house. It was his house. And he let me eat and he let me sleep. I could even watch Speed Racer in his house and Gilligan's Island in his house. I could even have friends come over and see me in his house. But a few times when I would get it twisted and think that it was my house, he let me know quickly that it was his house. Whose house? Harold's house. Whose house? Harold's house. Now, because it was his house and he gave me some benefits, you can live here and you can sleep here without paying rent. You got benefits, but you also have some responsibilities. You've got to serve in this house because you get benefits in this house of eating and sleeping here. And so therefore, Chris, you've got some chores to do. So my father gave me several jobs to the point that I thought that I was Lisa, that I was a Jamaican. I had several jobs. Let me just tell you some of my jobs. I 
was in charge of sweeping. Whenever anything got on that floor, I had to sweep it up. My dad, he showed me how to sweep. And then he gave me the broom, and now it's my turn. I became a sweep master in our house. And the way he discipled me was he would sweep, and I would get the dustpan, and I would hold it. And he would sweep the trash into the dustpan. But then he gave me both jobs. He said, now you are ready to sweep and to pick it up. Oh, man, he discipled me well. I had to work in that house. But not only that, I had to vacuum in the house. He showed me how to use the vacuum. I had to vacuum. We didn't have a whole lot of carpet, but I had to vacuum what little bit of carpet we had. But not only that, brother, man taught me how to dust. Mm Mm-hmm. We used to get that pledge, spray it on stuff, and you get that white rag and you wipe it on down. That's when you had that big record player in the middle that looked like a casket. You know, you had to take all the stuff off of it, spray it down. We do all this cleaning on Saturdays. Saturday was cleanup day. I don't care what else you got to do. If I had a football game, we had to clean up first. And my folks would always put that Motown sound on on Saturday while we cleaned the house. We cleaned it to Gladys Knight and the Pips and Marvin Gaye and the Jackson 5. That was what you did every Saturday came to be expected so I had to sweep and vacuum and dust man I thought I was gonna be a garbage man you know I did so much garbage taking that garbage out picking that garbage up tying it I was even the exterminator in the house we'd had them mice in the basement and so my dad would get the mice mouse traps we'd be upstairs and we hear something go pop pop my father would look at me and I knew it was my job to go down and pick up the mouse I struggle with mice today because I was traumatized as a child. <laughs> then my father, as I was going downstairs, would, would say to me, now save the trap, boy, which meant I had to lift the trap to let the gray little thing fall out and then put the trap back down. Lord, have, oh, I'm still messed up by that. <laughs> but I had jobs in my house. And when it snowed, Before I could go out making money shoveling other people's snow, I had to shovel the snow at my own house because it was really my dad's house that he allowed me to live and sleep there. And then when the leaves fell, I had to rake the leaves and put the leaves in the bag because it was my dad's house and he let me live and sleep there. I got benefits, but I also had some responsibility. Strong Tower, this is God's house. And we get benefits. We get to come and be in his presence. We get to eat from the word of God. And I see some of you sleeping sometime up in here. You get to eat and sleep here. But if you call this your church home, you're an official part of this family, you've got work to do here as well. You just can't walk by and think the maid is going to get it or somebody on staff is going to get it. No, God is saying you need to get it. What's your job here? Is it vacuuming? Is it dusting? Before anyone around here has three jobs, everybody needs to at least have one. So if you don't have a job, it's time to get one. If you're not a part of this church and you want to be, man, sign up for the class to become a member. There's a lot of work to do. The time is coming where it's going to get dark and no man can work. But right now, God's given us light. We've got work to do in here and out there.
Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the call to be slaves. Thank you for being a good master. Thank you for changing our name. Thank you for allowing us to see the dignity in serving others, even as you came not to be served, but to serve. Lord, send a revival in this church of servanthood. May we just be jumping all over one another to serve, serve in upreach, serve in inreach, serve in outreach, to serve, to serve the children, to serve the students, to serve one another, to serve, to serve, to serve. Lord, send a revival. May we all draw a circle around ourselves and say, Lord, may that revival start with me to serve. Mm. Lord, as we continue this worship service in the fellowship hall, speak to your people. Thank you, Lord. I love them. I love what you're doing in this church. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.